In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, we're in the season of Advent, and Advent is a Latin word that means he comes to us. That is, God comes to us. Uh, And Advent comes before Christmas. It's four weeks. And in this time, we're in a time and period of waiting. And we focus while we wait on how God comes to us in three different ways. Uh, That the first way is how he came to us, past tense, in a lowly manger despised by the world and in poverty. Uh, The second way the Lord comes to us, uh, we focus on how he comes to us now in the present tense. That is, through the word, through the Lord's Supper, through baptism, through lowly means that are humble in the eyes of the world, that are lowly and despised. Um, He forgives our sins through these seemingly insignificant things of bread and wine and words and water. And then finally, there's the third way that the Lord comes to us. And this is about how God will come to us, future tense. How he will come on that final day. And on that day, he will not come in humility. He will not come in lowliness or meekness. On that day, he will come with all of his glory and majesty for everyone to see. And on that day, no matter how many people despised him at his birth or here in this church in in the world, when they saw his word, when they heard it, no matter how many people despised him in this life, every creature will bury his face in the ground when the Lord returns and confess him to be the Lord, to be king. So people can mock and despise the Lord in his first coming. They can mock and despise him even now through the word. But they cannot and will not be able to mock him on the last day. He will be the judge and then he will spread out the earth before him like a scroll. Now, of these three comings of the Lord, the third one, this last one, his final coming, is what Luke chapter 21 is about, the very end of the world. If you've been here for more than a year, you've heard me preach on this text before. If you haven't, then go back and listen to the second Sunday of Advent for last year and the year after that and before that. Uh, You've learned in this text uh, that Luke chapter 21 is not Jesus telling us about things that are leading up to the end of the world, Rather, it's about the end of the world itself. It's the very day, the final moment. Uh, In years past, I've preached about what Jesus said about this final day and how it will be like uh, and how we are to react to that last day. But today, I'm not going to preach on that. Uh, I'm going to preach and focus on the last part of the text that you saw, verses 34 through 36. So I'm not going to preach about how you should be on the last day. Rather, how you should be in the meantime as we wait for the last day. This sermon is about how to live your life day by day until there are no more days to live. Now, the Christian life is like a man who has to be ready to leave on a trip right this very second, right this moment. And yet also be ready and able to wait for the long haul. So imagine this. Imagine that I tell you 
I have planned an amazing vacation for you, all expenses paid. I've scheduled a car to come pick you up this week. And when the driver pulls in, he's gonna knock on the door once and you have to be ready to go. And if not, if you're not ready, if you don't have every, if he has to wait around, then he will leave you and you're going to miss the entire thing. So what are you going to do? You could say, this is a possibility. You could say, uh, if I tell you this today, you could say, all right, I think I have some time. There's a lot of traffic uh, now, maybe tomorrow morning too. It's going to take him a while to get here. I'm just going to relax and I'll pack the bags tomorrow. All right? <laughs> uh, and that may be the case and you may be right. I. Uh, and he may knock tomorrow, but there is always the possibility that he may knock today. Uh, so the better thing to do is to pack the bags now and then get everything squared away and then wait, rather than to wait and then deal with it later. Well, that is how you ought to live your life in light of the last day. But the truth is some people don't. They'll do foolish things. I, I've heard that maybe you, you've heard the same thing. Uh, people will say something like, look, uh, I, I got it figured out. I'm just going to live however I want now. And then when I'm on my deathbed, right, when death is drawing near, then I'll repent. And then I get the best of both worlds. I get the best of this life and then I can enjoy the life to come. And that is so unbelievably foolish. Because you can't time out your repentance. Jesus says that day will come upon you suddenly like a trap. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And that means you cannot put repentance off to tomorrow. You can't, you can't take the word of God seriously tomorrow. That's foolish. Take it seriously today, right now, today. To try and time out your repentance is like trying to time out when to put on your seatbelt. So it's like you're driving without a seatbelt recklessly. And then when you see the accident about to happen, then just put on the seatbelt right before it happens, right? Or, uh, or it's like carrying a helmet with you while riding a bike, right? You ride your bike and then right when you're about to crash, just put on the helmet quickly and then you'll be fine. Or buying a gun. Don't buy a gun to protect your home. In fact, when you see the intruder coming, then go out and get it, get prepared and then come back, right? Um, why don't you do that? <laughs> because it's foolish. And yet some people will do this when it comes to eternal life. Now, we've seen this quite a bit through the years. <clears throat> Just one example. Uh, remember 9-11? Uh, and what, remember what happened after that Sunday, after the terrorist attacks? Uh, the churches were filled. They were completely full. And churches had to bring out folding chairs and people were standing in the back and people who hadn't been there for decades were all of a sudden back and the church was bursting at the seams. And why? It was because death was staring them in the face and everybody remembered. They had a vivid picture. They all remembered that life could end in an instant on any given day, on a normal day. It could all be over. So they all came back to church. And then what happened? The next day and the next day and nothing else happened. And then we went to ordinary life again and they left the church again. And then they'll be back after the next tragedy and the one after that. But then there will come a time when they can't come back. And they will have missed the word of God while they had it. They will have missed the gospel while it was being preached. You can't get ready for the last day on the last day. You have to be ready now.
because today may be your last day. This is what Psalms, the Psalms say, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Uh, the Bible talks about this. It has a term for this sort of foolish behavior that I've been describing. It's called falling asleep. It's called sleeping, spiritual sleeping, falling asleep in the faith. And in direct opposition to this, Jesus says in the gospel lesson today, he says, stay awake at all times. Now, now the question is, well, how do you stay spiritually awake? Uh, well, Jesus tells you four things to do, uh, and I'll go through them in order. The first three are negative things, and the last one is a positive thing. Um, the first three are things that put you to sleep. And the first thing is this. Uh, the first thing that puts your spirit to sleep is when Jesus says, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation. Uh, the word in Greek here is kripale, which is the only time it's used in the New Testament. And it means dissipation or surfeit, which means excess. And Jesus warns us not to focus uh, with this word. He's warning us not to focus solely in the pursuit of accumulating riches and keeping them. That there is a great danger to your soul in having a lot of things. Understand me well, simply having things isn't evil and in and of itself. If God has blessed you with much, then awesome, thanks be to God. However, you do face a real temptation when you have a lot of things. And the temptation grows to cling to those things and hold on to them and to get attached to them. The truth is, the more you have, the more you have calling for your attention and claiming your affection, the more you have, the more you have to fear losing uh, or loving or trusting in. And that is a dangerous position to be in. The poor aren't free from this either because the sin isn't in having the stuff. The sin is in thinking you need to have the stuff. That thought alone is already damaging to your heart. Now, so many people treat the things that don't matter as if they were the things that mattered most. So leisure or vacation or idleness or pleasure, sleep, work, their own body, success or money. They treat these things as if they mattered most when in the end, on that day, they will matter not at all. They won't matter at all. None of it. You can fall asleep. This is what Jesus is warning. You can fall asleep spiritually by chasing and trying to accumulate things everything that this life has to offer, that while you satisfy your flesh, your spirit falls asleep. For hundreds of years, Christians have used these four weeks of Advent as a time to fast from food, uh, from luxury, to give up things for themselves and to give things away to others. And what they've done is they've used this time to train their bodies to, to begin to let things go, to break their attachment to this world, even food itself, uh, to break their attachment to dependency, to train themselves for death for that final day. That's what it is. That's what fasting is to do. That is the first warning. That's what Jesus is saying. Uh, it's a warning against dissipation. The second warning is this. He says, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with drunkenness. 
Now, oftentimes people will lump these two together and just say, well, dissipation and drunkenness, they're synonyms, they mean the same thing, and uh, that's about as deep as it goes. They're similar, but they're not identical. There's a slight nuance here. Dissipation is having uh, too much of a lot of things, while drunkenness is having too much of one thing, of one specific thing. Now, when we hear drunkenness, we oftentimes immediately think of uh, drugs or alcohol, and that's true. It includes that, but it's not only that. Drunkenness is the thing that captivates your mind. It is any influence that leads you away from sound judgment. It means that you leave your mind under the control of another or an outside force, and that it's a way to avoid reality. That's what drunkenness is. So yes, you can intoxicate yourself on drugs and alcohol, but you can also do the same with video games or TV or shopping or the internet or sleep or promiscuity or pornography or mindlessly scrolling through hours of social media and the internet. Honestly, it's entirely unsurprising to me that social media use and depression are deeply and directly linked. Uh, we have seen this skyrocket in, in recent years. I'm not saying, I am not saying you can't have social media or use the internet or these sort of things. What I am saying is be honest. Be honest with yourself. Do you use it to accomplish work or do you use it to avoid work? Do you use it to improve your life? Or do you use it to avoid it? Are you learning anything? Or are you simply drowning out your sorrow through distraction? It's the same thing, that's drunkenness. Jesus says, don't let your heart be weighed down with drunkenness by mindless drivel. Don't hand yourself over to foolishness and frivolity and these mind-numbing behaviors. The stuff is intoxicating and it deeply affects and changes who you are as a person. That is the reality of it, all of these things. Now, the opposite of drunkenness is sober-mindedness. When you're drunk, life passes you by and you miss out on the things that matter, the things that matter most. Uh, but when you're sober-minded, you're watchful and you're alert. First Peter 4 says, the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, what does he say? Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. He's saying, don't get attached to these things because these things will come to an end. Don't make yourself one with this world and these things. Because this world will end. Uh, Paul, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, I discipline my body and I keep it under control. That is what Advent is also for, the disciplining of the flesh. Okay, that is the second warning that's against drunkenness. That's what Jesus says. Now, the third warning is this. He says, watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with the cares of this life. Another way to translate this is the anxieties and worries of this life. Jesus is teaching us that anxiety over this life can wreak havoc on your soul. It can wreak havoc on your soul. Last year alone, 
people Googled the word anxiety more than any other word in the world. People have worried more in the past 18 months than they've worried ever in their life combined. And because of that, now it's showing that people are now more prone to heart disease than ever before. The media loves your anxiety. The media loves your anxiety and your fear. It pays their bills. Do you know that? And they'll always find a way. They will always find a way to sensationalize everything and drive you to despair. That is their goal. Now, in light of that, if there's anything, if there's anything that pastors should have been doing these past 21 months, it should have been to not play into the fear and terror and hysteria in word and deed, but rather to preach against anxiety and worry, to keep the church open and gathering and singing and clearly preaching the comfort of the gospel, which the Lord himself gives. That's what should have happened. And sadly, we've seen so many times the opposite, that people were driven even more to despair and more to fear. Look, being anxious won't help you. Uh, so stop worrying. I preached about this at length. I think it's a 22-minute sermon or something like that. Uh, on September 12th, the 15th Sunday for Trinity. Go and listen to that sermon. It, the whole thing is just about anxiety and worry. Jesus says, don't be weighed down by the cares and anxieties and worries of this life. He says, don't be anxious about your life. Uh, be anxious about nothing, Philippians 4 says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That is the third thing. Don't be weighed down by the cares of this life, the anxieties of this life. And this leads us to the fourth point and the final one. In opposition to all of this, Jesus says these words. He says, stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So, so far, Jesus has told us three things not to do. Don't be weighed down with dissipation or drunkenness or the cares of this life. But now he tells you what to do, and that is to pray, to pray to him. We're not just praying to make ourselves feel better or to pass the time. We pray to Jesus. We are praying to the God who hears us, the one who spilled his blood for us the one who gave his life for us. Pray to him to resist these things that call for your life, for your attention. Take, take this to heart. Not one Christian who has remained faithful unto death has done so relying on himself or his own strength. Not one Christian who has remained faithful unto death relied upon himself or his own strength. The Christians who do that fall away. They don't make it. That is what the warning is. They will not make it to the end. But every single Christian who has made it to that final moment in their final breaths, clinging to the word of Christ, to his forgiveness and his gospel, who have died in the faith, have done so because... They looked at God alone for strength and they prayed to God for strength and he gave it to them to make it through that moment. Every single Christian has, who has made it has made it because of that. 
That is what God tells you to do. Psalm 48.10 says, God says, he says, don't be dismayed because I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Second Thessalonians 3 says, the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you against the evil one. Psalm 73 says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. Isaiah 12 says, the Lord is my strength. Dear saints, I know that the battle is fierce and long, and we have to constantly struggle and fight against falling asleep and against being weighed down in dissipation and drunkenness and anxiety. And to be honest, I know it's exhausting. We cannot wait to see the Lord, but sometimes it is the hardest thing to do to just simply wait for the Lord. That is very difficult. And when we lose sight of the Lord returning, we fall. And there have been times, you have told me, there have been times when we've all stumbled and fallen badly. There will be times, and maybe you're in it right now, when you will grow cold toward the Lord and when you will be depleted in strength and when you will feel burned out entirely. And when you just want to throw in the towel and give up the faith and just sleep and not have to bother with any of these things. That may be the case. And when these things come up, when this temptation comes up, don't give in. Because I'm preaching this sermon into your heart to keep you from falling away, to wake you up right now. When you grow weary, remember Isaiah chapter 40. It says this. The Lord is the everlasting God. And even though you grow weary and faint, he does not faint or grow weary. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So no matter how weary and tired and exhausted you may be of the fight of this world, of the disappointment of sin and all the problems of the brief life of labor, Jesus has come today to strengthen you with his forgiveness. And he gives you his forgiveness, which which will make you endure until the end. That is what the Lord's Supper is for. After you receive it, what what are the words you hear? After you take the body and blood of Christ and you receive uh, the blood of Christ for your forgiveness, what words go into your ears? The pastor says, the body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen and preserve you in body and soul to life everlasting. So your flesh and heart may be weak today and may fail, but Jesus is your strength and he is the strength of your heart. And he will keep you faithful. Believe it. He will keep you faithful until the end. Don't worry. Don't worry. Just turn to him. Don't be anxious about this life or about the next. Just turn to him. Ask him for the strength that he has already promised to give you. And you will endure and persevere. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.
The peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.